I made up my own high school transcript. Like when it was time for me to go to to college and stuff, I literally just typed, made it up. I looked at what other people's high school transcript was, and I made up. I made up a school. I made up, um, you know, my grades. I made up my classes. I, you know, when I left, I took a ski pole. I broke into his safe and I stole my my birth certificate and my social security card. I had no idea what my social was, nothing. And I was like, peace, bitches, you know. And <laughs> it's like that Reliant K song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take <laughs> the calligraphy and then I'll make a fake degree. Oh, I don't even remember that one. I don't even remember that one, but I'll have to look it up. I was like, I didn't remember a, a Reliant K song called Peace Bitches, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up. One um, of the classics. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was what a, a bonus track. Lady um, Hawkins Dance and Peace Bitches. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And I'm Sam. And I'm joining you from beautiful Carlsbad, California, uh, without pants. Who's bad? Car- you said Carlsbad? Yeah. Is this like honestly, a new thing for you guys? I think Carl's more just misunderstood, you know. You might be. <laughs> I don't know anything about Carl. I just know that he's been causing you and your wife a lot of problems. <laughs> right. <laughs> we might just rope Carl in, you know. Yeah, I mean, he, pretty soon he's just going to be a co-host on the podcast. He's just like interjected his way into your life and and your bum. And there's no way we can move on from Carl that easily. I feel like in my brain right now, I'm I'm going back and forth between Carl from Workaholics and, uh, you know, Carl Winslow from Family Matters. Yeah. Like, which one do I want to tie into my, you know, ethical non-monogamous yeah, keep it ethical. Uh, and I was definitely my my immediate idea was more of like a Carl from Workaholics type, uh, but also like you know, if we want to get real specific, maybe just like a guy with a hemp necklace who doesn't wear a shirt and wears sandals on the beach, and maybe some I think wears a cut off shorts. He's got some long hair. Maybe like a single dread, you know, but he's like got the one uh... in the back. At underneath any point could launch into a dissertation about how deodorant's bad for you and you're like i i i knew you had this opinion dude like i knew from the moment i was within 10 feet of you yeah and he he has won at least one hacky sack national tournament uh <laughs> and, but he, he he beat the shit out of states and he went national so i, I just think it's cute I and mean, you guys have a good thing going i'm happy for you too three sorry you're a thruple now and um you know, I know it's been hard for uh, your wife, but she seems to be coming around on it. So good for you guys. Yeah. You know, it's, it's cool of her to, to be flexible to my needs, you know. And, you know, some of her needs might be able to be fulfilled now that, you know, you might not have uh, been able to satisfy before, too. I, I'm yeah, just I mean, from we'll what see. I'm hearing. It's not, it's not Carl and I's first priority, but we'll see yeah, what happens. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, motion of the ocean and all that. I get you. oh man yeah so uh i'm gonna be here for like a week doing work stuff and then uh we're going up to joshua tree oh cool there so yeah it should be fun 
I only know Joshua Tree because wasn't that a contemporary Christian band as well? I feel like maybe it was. I think it was also something to do with U2, right? It was like an album or a song. Oh, that's what it is. My bad. Well, U2 is basically a contemporary Christian band, so I guess I'm not entirely wrong. Yeah, U2 U2 is like, when people tell me they're really into U2, I I don't know. It's like like asking somebody what their favorite food is, and they're like, crackers. (laughs) Saltines. No, Uh, it's... I feel like if you are, uh, and I'm not trying to be ageist here or anything, but I feel like if you're like over 45, you can, you can say you really like you too. And they made a big impact on your life without people being like, having a, like saying anything about it. They're like, Oh yeah, that's fine. Like, get it. That, that makes sense. But if you're like under 45 and you're like, Oh my God, I love you too. You're like, you know, there have been other bands since you too. <laughs> So much of like music is just, it's like, uh, it's the moment in which it existed, you know? Oh yeah. And it's like, you miss that moment. Like I just, uh, I, I feel like most people, they have like the music that they listen to that they love, but then there's also like the music that their parents loved and the music that their grandparents loved. Yeah. And like anything that falls between those cracks is kind of like lost on them. And, and that's like grunge for me, like anything that came yeah. out in like the late eighties, early nineties. I mean, really the whole nine, all of the nineties. I don't know anything about it. I don't know any of it. Like I'm not familiar with any of it and I just don't really get it. Yeah. I, I don't really know much about nineties either. I feel like I've, I've mentioned before on the podcast that grunge, I just missed as well. Uh, and it's weird because I don't, when I hear it, I don't like it. But when I hear people who like it talk about it, it's often like musicians that I really like. Like the bands that I like, most of them would be like, yeah, like Nirvana changed my life. And then you're like, I don't get it. I I, I wish I could hear what they're hearing and, and kind of understand the impact it had. I think that would be really cool to be part of that. I think it kind of sucks sometimes that like, I don't, I don't get it. It's like that when I uh, like so many things. Yeah. I want to <laughs> like more things. I'm trying to think of a good example, maybe a food. Like you ever just not like a food and it pisses you off when that thing is like sprinkled into everything. Like I fucking hate pickles and I've tried to like pickles. I would love to like pickles. There's, I was a extremely picky eater most of my life. And I, in college, I realized how terrible that makes you of a person. Like no one wants to hang out with the person who like <laughs> deconstructs every sandwich that comes out to them and like puts it on the side of their plate like a toddler. So I was like, I just you're committed the, to just ketchup guy. Yeah, yeah. I so I committed to just eating everything that that I got. Um, and at this point, the only things that I there's there's like a few things that I just don't like. Like peppers are tolerable for me now, but I've never liked them. But now I will eat them. Uh, but pickles can just fuck off. I I hate pickles. And I that's one of those foods I want to like because you hear people who like pickles talk about like different pickles. And you're like, is this a this is a thing? Like, I don't know what's so special about these. I wish I liked them. Uh, I end up picking them off of burgers all the time. Uh, even like um like a thousand island dressing where there's like relish in it relish ruins things pretty fucking quick for me dude i like pickles you know what i don't get is uh is like fancy cheese people 
Okay, like, yeah. Dude, I don't think I've had a lot of fancy cheeses. That's that's my problem. But the times I've, that I I've have tried them whenever they're around, you know, like you're at a party that's a little nicer and somebody's got like a an array of uh, charcuterie. Yeah, fun, a fun word. Uh, Croix de ta. What is it? Just like grown up lunchables. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, there's like there's like eight different kinds of cheese on there, and it's like you 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 pick one up and put it in your mouth and start chewing it, and you're like, this tastes like the last one, only it sucked all the moisture out of my mouth. <laughs> it's See, so dry. I, I have had a few cheeses that are like nice and I've been like, Oh, this, I get it. Like these are special. There's something like, like there's something really neat about the flavor. It gets really, I don't know. I feel like it gets more complex and that makes me sound like a total dork, but like, I don't, I thought I didn't like cheese forever because I think just like your run of the mill grocery store, sharp cheddar block isn't very good. I don't care about it. I've never really liked it. And then, I was like, oh, I get, and then, but I would eat mozzarella or like mild cheeses. And then once I had like sharp cheeses that were like actually considered good. Now, these are ones that I would go somewhere and a friend would like bring them out or something. And I, I I'm not out there buying cheese. Like, I don't even know how to shop for cheese. I, I was grocery shopping today for a, uh, for ingredients for something I'm going to make tomorrow that I found in a cookbook and one of the ingredients was a Parmesan cheese rind. And I was like, I don't even what? Yeah. I guess the rind of Parmesan, just the end you cut out the middle. I don't know. Cheese is weird. It's like, it's like when people are really into wine or beer or like these things and they want to talk about the complex flavors and, and then, but if you talk to somebody about it, who's not in it, you're just like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, dude. Yeah. Oh, but speaking of lunchables like that, I just feel like I, I wish that I could just have fun doing this. Like it would be way more fun. (laughs) I just don't get it. You know? Yeah. I, there's certain things I I've, there's certain things I'm getting into more as I get older, like wine for sure. Uh, beer is something I've just drank forever, but I used to get more into it. And then I'm like, there's so much that's like, quote unquote craft beer. I'm like, I'm so tired of spending money on beer that ends up tasting just okay. Like that's why I, I'm drinking beer. I, I usually just drink cheap beer at this point, even though I really appreciate a good beer. I just think the market's so saturated that like finding those gems is a little bit few and far between. But um speaking of lunchables though, uh I I was when I was at the grocery store tonight, I walked by uh, two of the kids who worked there and I just overheard their, their conversation. And one of them goes, Oh, is that the guy who like brings like two Lunchables for lunch every day? And I just <laughs> laughed quietly to myself. Cause I thought that I like, if I worked what anywhere, a, make and, a name for yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's the <whole> lunchable guy. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Oh man. Yeah, well, I don't. I don't know that we've ever talked about it, but you knew him. I didn't really know him very well, but there, that kid at Liberty that just wanted to be the the Capri Sun the Cap- guy. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, he that was his thing. Like he was a, uh, he always had a Capri Sun in his backpack, and he would like drink it on the bus, 
And then I remember just overhearing him ranting one day. He was really angry because this guy started like getting on the bus when he was on there and he was just like knocking down Capri Suns one after the other. And he's, like, he's <laughs> overdoing it. It's too much. You can't sit here and drink three. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Alex. His name was Alex. He was a legend. And all the people I know that knew him too have no idea where he is or what happened to him. So he's now officially like a myth, I guess. I I don't know anyone who can get in touch with him. And I think that's very disappointing because he was quite a character. Oh, shout out to uh, all the homies who messaged me after uh, this last Fellowship Friday to tell me um, Promise Keeper stories. Oh, yeah. It's crazy how many people went to Promise Keep. But somehow I avoided that. I just never I, – I feel like I don't really remember anyone at my church going either. I, I suspect yeah, maybe like I my dad went at one point, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, that's yeah, because I didn't either. Uh, I missed a lot of those like cultural events uh, within conservative Christianity outside of like – I mean I've mentioned the Choir of the Fire and stuff like that, but that was always through other churches, mine. Uh, there was like one, we would occasionally do these like youth events, but they were never, they didn't stick out like that. Like promise keeper. I mean, that's a special one, man. I mean, to have an entire event revolving around pledging your life to virginity until marriage is yeah. pretty fucking weird. Well, so one of my buddies from, from school was messaging me this week about it. And uh, he was saying that he went to a couple of them with his dad and just said that like he, you know, he thought that like his dad enjoyed it, and you know, it was his his understanding was that his jet his dad enjoyed it, but like that for him it wasn't. I don't know. It was more just like stressful because of all the messaging and stuff. And I was thinking about it. And I'm like, man, that probably that message of like purity and abstaining from all appearance of evil, blah 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 blah, all of that stuff probably hits way different for somebody who's been out in the world living their life for 30 some years than it does for somebody who hasn't been out there at all yet. Like for one person, it's almost like a message of redemption. Like, Hey, no worries. God is big enough to forgive and he's going to like help you through this. And now it's your time to like be on the straight and narrow. Like you're probably a married guy at this point. Life should be pretty, it should be, reasonable and easy for you to stay on that path or whatever but if yeah. you're like a young kid in that audience like all of that is ahead of you like you have married no people go married people go to promise keepers to help them keep their promise to their spouse i think so i think it's mostly like older dudes that was like my understanding of it but i guess i don't know i mean i didn't think of it i don't think promise keepers is like a youth event well i didn't i guess i didn't know much about it uh, at all. Other than it's like I think it was, I I, I always associate it with like a purity thing. But I just looked it up because I wasn't sure. So many of those like organizations have just gone belly up. Like people yeah. don't go anymore. But this is still, a th- I mean, it's still a thing. Promise Keepers Twenty Two Men's Conference recently been updated. Uh, it's in, uh, I guess it's in Tulsa. I feel like at this point, like if you're the guy who still owns the rights to promise keepers. It's kind of like being the last guy in town that's still holding on to a Coldstone franchise. Yeah. <laughs> There's still Coldstones everywhere. 
Let's pick a different franchise. What, what's another? What's a a legitimately dying franchise? There's plenty of Cold Stone still. Sixteen subways that are all like two blocks apart. And you're like, yeah, people are over this five dollar foot long thing, man. It's I, I don't Caesars. get that. You remember how many Little Caesars there were like for a while? Yeah, we didn't actually have them um, up my way at all. Uh, the first time I had Little Caesars was when I went to Liberty. Well, I mean, they were everywhere. Hot and ready, baby. Like, you had to, uh, when you were a kid, like, if you wanted Little Caesars, you had to go to, to uh, Kmart because they had a Little Caesars in the front of Kmart, like the Little Caesars Cafe, and then that was about it. And then when they started doing the the hot and ready thing, yeah, they, like, started marketing that, they just popped up all over the place, Little Caesars franchises. Yeah, I guess that slogan, that was the first time a fast food franchise ever got into a legal dispute with Pornhub <laughs> over a catchphrase. It's also the first time that the uh, the like expected lifespan of Americans dropped in like <laughs> 100 years. <laughs> Since the last like you major look at, war. <laughs> you look at the like the median obesity rate in the say in the areas and the zip codes in which uh Little Caesars popped up and it's just like a one for one exchange. I remember I think that like one of my it's it's funny like thinking about Little Caesars and like one of the memories that sticks out in my head is I was in Howell, Michigan and there was uh like a rusted out F one fifty in front of me. I was driving down uh Grand River, which is like the main road there, and I remember like looking at this busted F one fifty there was a hole in the muffler. So it was like super loud, you know, not in like a performance way and like a, Oh, this truck's on its deathbed way. Yeah. (laughs) Roll up on it. Rockers are all rusted out. And there's a lady driving with, she's driving with one hand holding marinara sauce with that same hand and then dipping breadsticks and eating (laughs) while driving. And I was like, man, that's a champion right there. Crazy bread for sure. That's <laughs> disgusting. I watching. I love it, Dan. I love pulling up next to people or driving by them on the highway when you're watching people eat in their car. It's so gross. Like it always looks bad when I'm eating in the car. I look and feel like a piece of shit. Oh, I, but, I'm sure I look disgusting. Yeah, it's like shit's just. It's like shredded lettuce all down your chest, sauce out it. the back. I do it all the time too. Like I yeah. eat most meals while driving <laughs> and most of the time it goes fine. There are certain foods that you can't eat while driving, you know, like you gotta, you gotta pull over if you're going to eat Taco Bell, Dude, no, I don't... no Qdoba, you know, even like, uh, Jimmy I got a John's, breakfast burrito a last week. Sketchy. I got a breakfast burrito last week on my way back from Virginia and that I got it from Chick-fil-A and it sucked. I was, thoroughly disappointed it was terrible so i like chick-fil-a's food general okay i used to be a huge chick-fil-a advocate and we don't need to get into the morality of all of that but just on their food alone i was down to clown i really enjoyed (laughs) filet and lately over the past couple years my i i'm shifting i think i think their chicken breasts got smaller i think they shrunk their chicken and I don't feel as full when I eat there anymore. And every time I go, I'm like, this just doesn't have the same, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if they've changed their quality. I don't, 
I'm I just know that I, I don't su- I don't support it like I used to. I'm not like all about it. Maybe I just got burnt out on it. But the last like three times I've gone, I'm like, this just isn't. I don't even give a fuck about Chick Fil A sauce, dude. Chick Fil A sauce can fuck off for all I care. I oh, know that's. Come on now. Now I know, but here's where I will stand. I I I'm convinced at this point the only reason I go to Chick Fil A is for their honey roasted barbecue sauce on my chicken sandwiches. That shit slaps. Yeah, I can't endorse that. I will endorse Chick Fil A sauce. Though. Have you had it? Have yeah. you had it? Excuse me. Back up. No, no, I don't. See, I don't, I don't ever get barbecue sauce. It's not. It's I'm a ranch hand, barbecue. But... It's it's yellow. All right. <laughs> it's yellow barbecue sauce. You. It's basically Chick Fil A sauce, but better. Ranch it up. Oh my God! When you raise your voice, uh, I apologize to the listeners. It uh, like, I don't know if this will come through on the recording, but. It occasionally like spikes with like this crazy like white when noise. i get enthused about ranch yeah april and i, I think- we're both ranch enthusiasts and like that's that's how trashy we are is like we we kind of have like a mental ranking list of restaurants based on how good their ranch is top three restaurants with ranch dressing go mm, oh god i may have to call in help top three restaurants with ranch dressing you just said you had a fucking oh, list Wings is pretty good Outback has great ranch. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, Outback used to have fire clam chowder. Huh. Yeah. I don't think I've ever ordered clam chowder. <laughs> I can see why. I mean, it's reasonable to not order clam chowder from the Outback, but clam it used chowder to be good. Like, it's like mollusk chili. <laughs> <laughs> uh, local. There's a local pizza place called Gambino's. They have pretty awesome ranch. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I, I didn't follow up that bit as well as I should have, I guess. Yeah. You should have been prepared for that question. Did, uh, do you go, do you order it by the gallon? Do you ask if you can leave with like a pint of, of ranch? Like leave one Buffalo wing behind on your plate so you can be like, can I get some ranch to go please? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I did at one point, uh, to cross streams here. I did at one point Across I was uh, driving home with I think my mom was in my truck and I was attempting to eat buffalo wings with ranch much While like driving. the way I described earlier and yeah. I dropped a thing of ranch dressing all over my crotch. <laughs> nice. So I'm no better than that lady. I just maybe as she sticks out to me because uh you know I admired her like innovative spirit. Yeah. I mean, she's a champion. I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, hands free. Like you get to a point where you're just driving with your knees, dunking shit left and right, double fisting, drinking this right hand. Brothers of ranch. Yeah. No, it's incredible. So, All right. uh, should we introduce our guest? Yeah, we'll do that. I know uh, we're you're in a strange location, and I got uh, pretty slammed with homework, so we're keeping this one short. You guys got. Casey's favorite places to get ranch dressing and uh, you know, it's, and our take on little Caesars and Chick-fil-A. So this has been pretty life-changing. I think we've really, we've really packed it in for this intro. So I yeah, think a lot of me we've come here to do and we can introduce our guest now. So our guest is Barrett Carroll. Uh, we actually got, we found, we learned of Barrett through our buddy, George Azar, who is, I mean, if you know George Azar, you love George Azar. Yeah. So it was uh George is the host of My Gay Church 
Days yep. podcast, author of My Gay Church Days book, uh, founder of MyGayChurchDays.com, operator of My Gay Church Days Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, and whatnot. You get the idea. We might have even started this conversation. I can't quite remember if it was pre or post recording, but uh, or during uh, that we started talking about our mutual love for George. So maybe that's on the recording. Maybe it's not. I don't quite remember. It was a little while ago that we uh, did this one, but no, Barrett is a really cool guy. He, um, so he, he's an author. Uh, he recently wrote a children's book called the, the acorns journey. Yeah. Before that, but he started out as a child actor and he's done a lot of acting since, um, a lot of what we ended up talking about in this episode is his relationship with his dad, who is like certifiable nut job by the sounds of it. Yeah. Kind of reminds me, I was trying to think of like who to compare his dad to. And uh, did you see like 10 Cloverfield Lane? Nope. Okay. Well, if you have John Goodman in that movie, maybe, maybe similar. I don't know. But uh yeah, Barrett had a really interesting childhood growing up with a guy who, you know, didn't believe in driver's licenses and didn't want him to have a social security card and just, uh, you know, all sorts of weird conspiracy theory stuff. Um, has ties to some, you know, high level GOP politicians and things like that. He gets into some of that stuff in the episode, you know, without going too crazy name and names and whatnot. But, uh, is an interesting, interesting story. Um, he under underwent a lot of abuse and, and things like that. And then finally just struck out on his own to make his own way. And uh, it's always interesting talking to somebody who's been through so much. And I remember like the thing that sticks with me the most about this conversation is we were talking about like the abuse and stuff like that, that he had gone through. And I think I asked him something along the lines of like, Hey, was there anybody that like really sticks out in your mind as like, oh, I don't know if I could have made it without this person. Like, was there anybody that 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 helped you out in such a fundamental way that like it changed your life? And he said something that like, I mean, it hit me like right in the middle of the conversation, too. But he said, well, there was there was people along the way that like helped out and stuff, but nobody saved me. And I thought that line was just, oh, man, there's gravity there. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, he's got an interesting story. Yeah. Uh, just, I think you're right. I, I actually had forgotten about that, but it, um, it's cause a lot of people do have that, that person who's like, all right, we're going to, we'll, we'll get this shit figured out. You have someone to rely on, but he, he had himself, he relied on himself to get out of that shitty situation. And he had started in, in acting as a teenager and well, even younger than that, but, he he had intention to pursue acting and um you know he's got some notable credits under his belt like being on conan and shit like that but uh i think it was around 2020 that he he really started kind of putting himself out there to tell his story his personal story growing up in the the crazy way that he did and and trying to find a path forward with that and then try to like oh i it's like it's funny because people, I feel like there's off, like there's so many people. We, I mean, we've talked to a lot of people, right, who have some of the wildest stories, and they're just regular ass people. Like no one would know them from anybody else, and they they might just go to work and do their shit, and 
and that have like this crazy story in, in the background that not everybody knows about. So I think that's what's cool, man. I think like when people realize it's like people are like, yeah, it's just it feels like my story and it doesn't necessarily feel like it's super interesting or worth telling. But then like you, you start drawing shit out of people and it's like they you realize so many people have these interesting stories. So it's cool with people like Barrett when they're like, you know what? I have this story. I know this was wild. I've I've I'm experiencing life in a new way. And I think and I know other people are still kind of going through this and people are working through how to navigate this and to put yourself out there and, and try to start telling that story is, I, I just love it. I, I wish more people who had wild stories were putting themselves out there to tell them because it's endlessly interesting to me. Well, um, plug some of his social media and stuff like that towards the end of the episode, but definitely go find him on TikTok. He's got some real funny TikToks. He's got some real interesting ones. Um, and I think you're going to enjoy those. So, and you can find his children's book, The Acorn's Journey. I think you can go straight to his website or you can get it through Amazon, either one. But yep. uh, do it. If you like the podcast, share it with a friend. Uh, write a review wherever you listen to it. Uh, anything that you do like that helps us out a lot. And as always, if you want to get in on the conversation, join us on Discord. You can find the link on our Instagram profile. So without further ado... Enjoy our conversation with Barrett Carroll. And we're back with our guest, Barrett Carroll. Barrett, thanks for coming, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, we were just talking before the before the break here about um, we got connected with you through our buddy George Azar of My Gay Church Days, who's right. a great dude. Everybody loves George. Yeah, he literally is everybody dude. loves George. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. My goal in get... life to, is to be that lovable. I feel like if I could be that lovable, I might maybe <laughs> seek approval a little bit less. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Good people. Good people. Doesn't the Azar sound like like one of the like if you went to a if you rented a sci-fi movie from before like 1995, that would be like a perfect alien name. Like for old sci-fi writers like the most futuristic thing that they could think of is like a name with a z in it well you know (laughs) his favorite show is um orville have you guys seen orville no i haven't someone just mentioned that to me uh the other day yeah it may have been george was it george (laughs) (laughs) might have been (laughs) he brings it up in every conversation so uh, (laughs) very lovingly i say that very lovingly it's a great and i watched it it's a great show it's very funny but um anyway it's like set in space so what you said was kind of funny Nice. Well, I, uh, I, I listened to your guys, your episodes that you did with George and you have a fascinating life story and, uh, and not too far from me. So you're from Oklahoma originally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from Oklahoma originally, uh, born and raised, kind of spent half the time there, half the time in Colorado, but I consider Oklahoma to be sort of, um, home, I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, home has sort of been wherever I made it, but that's, I consider when I think of like my childhood, I think more of Oklahoma for sure. Why was it split between the two? <laughs> um, so is that jumping the gun here? Do, no, do we no. Ease into I that? mean, there's like no way. Uh, I mean, as you said, um, yeah. I mean, my childhood and my relationship with uh, Christianity and religion in general is like uh, it's pretty. Um, 
it has a lot of stereotypical, like traditional things within it, but also very untraditional from a lot of other people's uh, religious uh, trauma, I guess. Um, but my father is a character, quite a character, um, but he was very obsessed with winter sports. And so we would live um, about half the year in in Colorado. Um, part of that was like trying to run away from the government uh, and uh, okay. where money was hidden in other states and stuff. So that was a big part. That was a big part of it. I was going to say, there has to be some sort of tax avoidance thing built into that. There's a few <laughs> tax avoidance. There's a, two, a few of them, a few, uh, many different names, many different, uh, uh, well, yeah. I Jesus. Uh, it's like, I, you don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole right away. Uh, yeah. but <laughs> what, what was his job? Uh, oh, that was, yes. So, um, that's even something you can speak to accurately. Yeah. So I guess, I guess what, um, I guess the best way to sum it up, I'll kind of give you an over, an overview of, cause when I was very, when I was very little, uh, we kind of were a little bit more in a sort of, I guess, quote unquote, like traditional church route. Because okay. in Oklahoma, pretty much everyone is religious. You know, the majority of people, the normal society that I viewed or saw out there, the people that were living more normal lives were still very religious, you know. Um, but we would go to these churches and stuff when I was real young. And that and my we would always leave very quickly because my father would get in these like big debates with the pastors and these big like it would and anyway that happened every place we went and then slowly but surely I've met that guy yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and slowly but surely he um things progressed especially after 9-11 and um he he was working for himself he taught himself how to be a mechanical engineer um, and he started a company that he was also running out of his house, out of the house. And so then pretty impressive. I mean, teaching yourself how to be a, he must be a smart guy. He's brilliant. He's brilliant, which all is not um, a lot of, you know, a lot of narcissistic people are pretty brilliant. Um, sure, yeah. And that was sort of what funded things. And then, Eventually things progressed because my, uh, he got very involved anyway, lost, I guess the short, I'll make it a little bit shorter to explain this and then we'll get into some of the, whatever questions you have or, or whatnot. But he believed that he was a prophet sent by God to stop the enrollment process of the mark of the beast. And that eventually evolved. When did that start? Huh? I, I'll, I'll put a pin in that question. You keep giving your okay. little, your notes uh -huh. sorry. And, it just kind of evolved because uh, when after 9-11 uh, technology advanced and they started creating biometric cameras and uh, when my sister, who's five and a half years older than me, she went to go get her driver's license. That was when we, there was always this very strong religious thing. And like I was not allowed to go to school. Um, I didn't go to school until I went to college. I had a prearranged marriage when I was 10. I like sat down and met, and it got, things were more and more intense and closed in. And he had like, he started gathering this like following of people and stuff. But then it just took a really strong right turn regarding biometrics. And then that was when the whole, I'm a prophet sent by God to stop the enrollment process of the Mark of the Beast thing began. And 
Um, yeah. And then he started getting involved with different pastors and politicians. And he started writing legislation for the state of Oklahoma and Missouri and Kansas and Texas and under and give Pat, he would write the legislation and then give it to other people. And they would say that they wrote it. Um, his name is nowhere. He doesn't have, he's, everything is very hidden. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, I would have to put my hand on his hip to get permission to speak. Um, I lived on a cot in the laundry room. Um, it was very abusive uh, in a lot of different ways. And and that was a sort of the beginning of, because uh, I'm sure on your podcast, you probably have a lot of people who have kind of deconstructed religious ideology, I'm assuming, uh, religious ideology as a whole, but uh, which I have also done, but like the roots of that were so much like further down the road than a lot of other people i i would say that it was like my initial deconstruction was as i said a little bit ago i believed that people who went to church on a regular basis and like the traditional evangelicals and stuff like that in america i thought that's how the rest of the world was like those were the normal people to me you know and so it that that has been a long journey of <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, dealing with all of that. So I've got so many questions. Yeah. Uh, well, first off, what was there a denomination that you guys considered yourself close to, or was that part of the problem is always bouncing back and forth, trying to find the right doctrine? Initially, yeah, that was a big part of the problem was that he, and there was many things that I agreed with my father, but there's so many, I mean, I don't talk to him, but there's many things. I think that he saw some of those problems when, which within the traditional church and within a lot of different denominations and some of that hypocrisy and things and, and stuff. So I think he saw some of those problems and that was what, but he also was so ego driven that it, that debate and those conversations really, because I, he always would talk about how he knew more than any scholar. He knew more than any pastor. He knew more than, any, you know, and so that kind of mentality just evolved over time. And the problem is that like, he wasn't entirely wrong about many of those things. And I wanted to believe he was wrong for a long time, but it actually has only been more in more recent years that I understand some of the things I see where a lot of things went wrong, if that makes sense. Yeah, is there like is there certain is there a specific like example or something that comes to mind that you can think of where that was the case? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it was it, when you talk about like fundamentalism, he is certainly he was very grounded in fundamentalist ideology. And so when you see like you go to a church where they don't practice playing musical instruments. Well, it's like, well, there's plenty of characters in the Bible who played musical instruments. So that is a big problem in, in that, like that is something that initiates or you well, you're not following the real gospel or, I gotcha. or it, I mean, it could be something that small or on the other end of those things, like, um, you know, people who aren't dancing or speaking in tongues when you're, you know, you don't have an interpreter or, you know, I mean, these are all the age old debates, but you realize that in all of these various denominations, there is hypocrisy in all of them. Yeah, sure. Is there, okay. So 
it might be a hard thing to put your finger on, but mm. like, was this driven by like a a a genuine like I guess like a genuine desire to find or or to practice those things in a perfect way, or was it driven by like a like I want to like this is how I assert dominance over people around me. I find fault with them. I prove that I know more than them. And then when I'm done with them, I'm done with them. Well, that's a great question. And, um, you know, it's weird. I haven't spoken to my father in, in many years, but I still know he is causing a lot of problems for a lot of people still to this day. And, <laughs> you mean um, he hasn't mellowed? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no. In fact, you know, that well, usually change. It's so strange that He's still doing his old things. Well, you know, it's honestly, I mean, it's, uh, it's sad it, and it is sad. And it's something I still think about sometimes. I mean, I'm, I'm much less sad about it now than I used to be, but I did think someday, someday this man is going to change, right? Like w- one day he's going to be old enough where he's going to realize like no one likes you. <laughs> like, you know, no one wants anything to do with you except these people who you like pay off or the people that you've totally brainwashed into believing that you are this special prophetic leader and how many times have these things. So to answer your question a little bit, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Just like my own belief system, I feel like it is ever evolving and I want it to be ever evolving because I think if you're not ever evolving, you're, you're, I mean, stagnation or, and it's certainly rooted, I think in arrogance oftentimes because you think that you have nothing else to learn. And so um, that being said, my opinions on my father have shifted multiple times. Like when I was very young, I viewed him the way that he wanted me to view him. But I always questioned a lot of things. And then that questioning just grew. And then I started standing up to him. And even just the simplicity of the physical abuse, and like the lack of childhood experiences that other people were having. Those are things that I just started standing up against more and more and more and pushing back on because it did not feel right spiritually. It did not feel right. And that plays into my own spiritual journey too, because you talk about fundamentalism. Well, the teachings of Jesus were not being reflected in my experience. You know what I mean? The things I, and that has always been a true, that's something that I still to this day believe, whether it be even with mainstream Christians, I'm like, hypocrisy across the board is my biggest pet peeve and i certainly that's why i'm always like if someone feels like i'm doing something wrong i want people to call me out i want people to tell me what they feel or what they see or what they think because i don't ever want to be a hypocrite but to better answer your question real fast i have my opinion of him has changed because i do believe that he is very manipulative and very controlling and a lot of it is ego driven and he wants it it's his validation for himself and i used to believe that he truly believed these things and one of the things that shifted was like we were not allowed to get a driver's license i had to that's one of the reasons i left at 16 was that was a big cuz the driver's license is specifically were the enrollment process for the mark of the beast so I was not allowed to get a driver's license or anything like that. <laughs> that would, if, his, if he viewed his job as there to like roadblock that enrollment process, that's a lofty goal is to prevent lots and lots of people from getting driver's licenses. Well, he did it for a long time. I mean, the whole, I don't know if you've read much about, there were several states that held up the real ID. 
That was I, all. Yeah, I don't really. I have one, and it looks almost the same as a regular driver's license. So I don't well, really know. What so did. that was part of his. He really initiated that whole movement to hold off on states uh, complying with Real ID. Um, but and I understand if you look at the Bible from a fundamentalist viewpoint, I understand where a lot of his beliefs stemmed from. And, you know, you're talking about this one world government, you're talking about the ability to buy and sell, you're talking about all of, you know, all of those things. So, but he also, later on, since I've been out of there, I have learned that he was arrested for drunk driving several times. And to me, that was like the funniest thing when I found that out more recently, because I'm like, you're telling me that my whole life, like how, how dare I? like even think about getting my picture taken or anything like that. And I'm like, he has gone and been arrested and you know, they took his picture, you know, they took his fingerprints, you know, like, and that has now happened multiple times. So that, when I found does that, that mean he has a driver's license too. He does not have a driver's license. Oh, he's a caught drive without a license. Yeah. While in so does, does that factor into the, uh, like how adamant he was about you not getting one is because like, having to go through that process or accept that as a, as a legitimate thing would mean spilling the beans on the fact that like he can't get one. Well, no, I think that he, no, no, no. I, he, that was later on. He specifically chose not to get a driver's license. Uh, I mean, he won't cut his hair till he fulfills what he's called here to do. I mean, he looks, he looks like Charles Manson and um, like full blown looks like Charles Manson, which is funny because we would always have to hide from cameras and things like that. And, we lived on a big acreage with a barbed wire fence around it. And we used different names in different places. And, um, but I was like, you don't think that that, this whole look like draws more attention to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, but it, it, the, him being arrested when I found that out later, like more recently, it's made me think, well, did he ever actually believe this stuff? Because if he really believed it, would he risk, drunk driving and getting arrested and getting his picture taken and all of those things, if he really did believe these things. So was it always just a tool of manipulation and control or not? And so I don't really know what I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sold on, uh, but he also is, has all these powerful political connections as well. And so he gets away with all that stuff. Um, it's so straight. I feel like I, I might be making connections here that aren't, quite appropriate but like or based on anything but i it does seem like if i feel like once you start getting uh caught multiple times drinking and driving like you're either in your you know early 20s and just starting to party and don't know how to make good responsible choices or <laughs> you have maybe uh something else going on in your life that's alcohol is becoming a problem and you're a little bit older. And well, I think it may not have just been alcohol. I mean, I think that there may have been other, I mean, there's, he is a lot of Charles Manson esque. Um, I mean, I had night terrors for many, many years because I truly thought he was going to hunt me down and, and kill me. And that was the level of abuse. He, I mean, he was very, very, very abusive. And once I left for a long time, I really, I really feared for my safety and um it's like i said he's a character and so i don't it's something i still to this day think of 
does he genuinely feel these things? Is he somehow the product of his own environment? Is does he really believe this, or is it just a means to control people? Um, it's wild. It's a wild. It's a wild thing. Yeah, well, and if you're talking about somebody who's like a psychopath, mm-hmm. it, it's almost the question's almost irrelevant about whether they believe it or not. Like belief is such a slippery concept for somebody who, like every every belief is more or less just a tool for for their own agency. You know. Based you on tell, you tell me my therapist, yeah, because I, I go over <laughs> this kind of thing with her sometimes, and she's like, "Dude, like, you can't, you can't figure out. You've been trying to figure out your father your whole life, and like, you're not ever gonna figure him out because you, someone who is truly, um, like a psychopath, it's you really know don't know, and he's he is brilliant. Like I said, that's a big part of it. He's always ten steps ahead of you, always." And so no matter if you ever try to engage or anything like that, it's, it's very, he's already, like I said, he's just already 10 steps ahead. So, I mean, I don't know if you guys have more questions about him, I'm more than happy to answer about it, but we can also talk about the, you know, how that has evolved in like my own life and religion. And I, and I will say briefly, uh, COVID Trump, QAnon, all that stuff. Uh, I hate using the word triggering, uh, but it's certainly growing up the way I did. Like, I mean, I was trying on gas masks when I was a kid. Like, I was prepared for the end times. And uh, so then getting away from that and, like, having a totally different life and then COVID hits and everything shuts up. I'm like, should I call my dad and get some advice? You know, like, uh, (laughs) you know, it was wild. It was wild. So when you, you he doesn't have like an MK Ultra tattoo or anything though, does he? <laughs> uh, not that I know of. Not that I know. Of. Wouldn't no. be surprised. Okay. But. Is is your mom in the picture with all this? Uh, um, so yeah, I eventually I, I tried to get her to leave for many many years, and um, she eventually did. But that was a process because he told her what she could wear, what she could eat, what she could you know. So getting her out of that world was a really long difficult process and eventually she did kind of start pushing back as well and eventually got a job and all this stuff and whenever she she finally filed for divorce and I thought he was gonna I thought that was gonna be it and see that's another thing that surprised me is he showed up because he won't fly like I said he doesn't have a driver's license he doesn't have a passport he doesn't have anything like that and but when they went through the whole divorce thing like he showed up to court and they fought they I mean the whole thing went back and forth and like I said, his connections play a big role in it. Like they were married for 39 years and um, she got almost nothing. And so she had to, and she had retirement, she had nothing. And so she had to appeal it and it was just, you know, nonstop dragged out. And then that fell into, I've been having to deal with him very distantly the last couple of years over the guardianship of my grandma. And uh, it was the same thing that, that my my grandparents kept him out of everything and an irrevocable trust and everything because they knew him. And, and so they tried to keep him away from everything for their own protection. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's a whole different story, but his divorce attorney happened to be the, the attorney that my grandma, my 96 year old grandma went out and found by herself. Um, and so, to so then all of a sudden they my grandma who wanted nothing to do with him then 
believe that he was a prophet and that everyone else was against her and just at the end of her life oh no um and everyone who would take my aunt who had always taken care of her and all this stuff she just totally uh i mean he just swept in and and um Cut him out. Of, yeah took over my my grandma's life and uh so then here i was uh like having to go back to oklahoma to like testify against my father and stuff like that and i was like at that time last time i went back to testify i think it was 27 and you know, having left at 16, I was like, God damn, oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know if I should say that. I'm going to cuss on this. I'm yeah, like, good, man. Um, but, <laughs> we don't <laughs> but I was just like, I did not think that after all these years, I would still be having to mess with this motherfucker. Like, you know, so, but it is what it is. And <laughs> so keep, fucking wild. When you're, going, you're kid, going through all this you and you're not allowed to go to school, um, it doesn't sound like you were getting a real education but was your mom like technically like homeschooling you like what yeah quote unquote quote unquote i mean i had you know she taught me like english and english (laughs) (laughs) um i learned english and uh didn't really learn much math uh or or science but the weird the very strange part of my life is that i well it's all strange um but i my uh, my great uncle was Dolly Parton's manager. And yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So That's wild. Yeah, so I have all this all I have cousins who are actors and a lot of all, and uh, and singers and I have all this other family that's like in the entertainment industry. So, I when I was young, I was allowed to go and do start working commercial work and started doing theater and things like that, which is like just like the polar opposite. You can't have your picture taken, but you I could, could appear if I was being paid for it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was being paid for it. There's a definite, different, one different factor there. <laughs> yeah, so it was, um, yeah, and then, I mean, even the business he ran out of the house, you know, he was selling to, like, Kawasaki and, like, all, you know, big companies, and he didn't have any employees. Like, that's, we, instead of going to school, I was building his engine parts, like, as a child, and uh, and, and then going off to set. like i mean it was and then and then studying the bible and meeting my future wife at 10 you know i mean it was uh crazy do you keep in touch with her do you still Mm -hmm. talk to her a little bit my wife yeah no no (laughs) no 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 no. um no i mean we split ways at 14 yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean there were so many things and but honestly that exposure and being around more and more people especially in entertainment i mean the the polar opposite ends that those experiences were certainly uh, shaped a lot of who I am. And I think kind of balanced it out. Like when people are like, how would you grow up like that? And you're so normal. And I'm like, well, I don't I wouldn't say I'm normal, but I, uh, <laughs> I would say that, you know, certainly the theatrical part of myself and, and in many ways it saved me. Um, there was a lot of trauma in the entertainment industry as a kid. I experienced a lot of abuse on that end as well, which is a story, you know, a whole another story, but it also saved me in many ways because all of these, all this anger and these emotions and these, like I had a place to put it. And, and that was the, it it really saved. I mean, I truly don't, I, I probably would have ended my life as a, a kid if not for that ability to go and, and perform. Um, were those like 
I mean, were those like most of your friends that you made? Were they through that? Did you have friends outside of that or mix with other families or anything? Um, yeah, so I didn't have uh, every friend I ever really had. And I never really had any like close friends until I was probably probably like 14, 15, something like that. It was when I first started like actually having like relationship friendships, you know, um, and uh, yeah, and they were all all performers and stuff. And but it also around twelve or thirteen was when I really started standing up to my father and being like, "This is bullshit," because I saw I had seen more and more people that were not living the way I did. I was seeing more and more kids. And I was like, yo, this is nothing like <laughs> my life is nothing like these people's life. And <laughs> so I, I, I realized that. And I was like, this is bullshit, you know? And I had always deep down, I had always felt that. And again, it's sort of that conflict of spirituality too, because that, that, that still small voice, I do believe was always there. And um, in some capacity or another, and I feel like that that guidance was the thing that always told me that this religious indoctrination was wrong. That it was the thing that always told that little voice was the thing that always told me, like, I don't have peace about this. I don't feel right about this. This isn't a way I want to live. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like when it when it comes to uh, to make him, I could I could see. I could see it going in two different directions. Like I could see it, you know, just being like so hungry for a connection with someone that like you're really open to make friends and willing to put yourself out there and stuff like that. But I could also see it as like, uh, you know, a really scary thing to open up and, and really like make yourself available and, and make friends with people who, you know, I'm sure they were your, your dad probably demonized other people a lot. For sure. And, and it was both. And it was, it was a, a very strange mix of both and being kind of, I mean, I was pretty sexually confused my whole life before all that. And then you had all this. Um, and then I got sexually abused by a lot of people in the entertainment industry. And Holy shit. there was already so much shame about like the idea of even ever having a girlfriend and being alone with her ever or having sex before you're married the idea of that was already projected upon me with so much shame that that like there was no way for me to even and and on top of that not having a sex education whatsoever it, there was um it was very hard to do the mental gymnastics of what i was experiencing as a child and feeling all that shame and not having anyone to go to and that's another a whole different conversation about predators is they smell out that weakness. They smell out the kids who have unstable home lives. Um, you know, that is, that is a very, that's a very common theme. Um, and, you know, and it's been a journey. Like I'm in, a be I'm in the best place I've been thus far, but I certainly uh, acted out and I slept around with a lot of people through the years uh, just because, you know, I've, I've, uh, there are periods of time where I drank a lot and there are periods of time where it's like I experimented with drugs and like, you know, but the ir irony of that is mm, I probably wouldn't have done most of that if 
I, there wasn't, there were people who I could talk to who didn't just shame me and there wasn't so much religious indoctrination. Um, but when you don't know, all you know is I want to get out. I don't want to live this life. And that rebellion that is your, when, when even just questioning something is labeled as rebellion, Mm -hmm. then you just get angry about it and you want to experience anything that is not the torturous world that you've grown up in yeah and it it like it almost like fucks up your receptors in a way where you're like like what i want to say quote unquote normal people might experience is like uh depending on the situation they're in their brain goes hey maybe that's not a good idea Mm-hmm. But it's almost like when you've been like scared for so long and you don't know how to like kids don't know how to come out of that. Like if you have a lot of abuse in your life, which it sounds like you did, but like, you know, you're, if everything is always so wrong and scary and mm-hmm. that there's hell to pay for it, you don't really have like, it, it like, it really seems to fuck with anyone's ability to gauge consequences or rule certain things out because they all give you that same feeling. Or when you push past that and you go, I'm going to do this despite that feeling because this feeling's wrong. You lose kind of the ability to, to draw lines in the sand for a while. It seems. Well, something I'm saying in my life right now, and this is the first time that I've ever really said this because I've struggled with a lot of escapisms in the past because I always had to escape. The way I survived my childhood was I was always looking forward. I was always, I mean, that was whole, the only reason I was able to go to college was because I was a performer. I had no, like, I mean, Going to college was crazy, and I knew that was, like, my out. I mean, even though I left at 16, I knew that I was, like, that was how I was going to get into some kind of thing. The only thing I knew how to do was be a performer. And so when I took the ACT or whatever, I had, like, a like a 13 or something on the ACT, terrible. And I had no high school transcripts. So, and this is a whole nother conversation in those states, you know, homeschool kids, whether they're done, it's done right or not done right. There's no one checking to see if they're, they're, these kids are actually following a certain pattern, that they're actually getting a, a, a correct education. At least there wasn't when I was a kid. Yeah, and probably so, still isn't. Do you, uh, I was homeschooled uh, oh, you were? in Massachusetts. And I mean, I, did you, was there like a, you have to read, like, do they have to know you're being homeschooled or do they just like, well, I, dad I, doesn't I, exist on paper. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I made up my own high school transcript. Like when it was time for me to go to to college and stuff, I literally just typed, made it up. I looked at what other people's high school transcript was and I made up, I made up a school. I made up, um, you know, my grades. I made up my classes. I, you know, when I left, I took a ski pole. I broke into his safe and I stole my, my birth certificate and my social security card. I had no idea what my social was, nothing. And I was like, peace bitches, you know? And <laughs> it's like that Reliant K song. Yeah, yeah. I'll take the late fee and then I'll make a fake degree. Oh, I don't even remember that one. I don't even remember that one, but I'll have to look it up. I was like, I didn't remember a, a Reliant K song called Peace Bitches, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up. Um, one of the classics. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was what a, a bonus track. Um, Lady Hoggins Dance and Peace Bitches. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it was a wild, it was a wild thing. And certainly a lot, uh, a lot to come to terms with. I'm 29 now and I'm still um, coming to terms with a lot, a lot of things and also realizing there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I don't have figured out. There's a lot um, 
you know, and, and some of your formative years when there are so many different things that were just like pushed upon you in very opposite realities, it's hard to find your own identity. Like whether you're talking about like, what do I actually believe? Like, what is my actual sexuality? Like all of those things have are a never ending journey for me still. Cause I'm like, I've experienced all, all of it, you know, and it's, uh, it's a lot to unpack sometimes. Would, would you look it's, back on, uh, you know, those years, especially around the time that you were getting, you were getting out of there, you mm-hmm. know, was there anybody that you look back on and think like, man, thank God for this person? Like, was there anybody that really invested in you and helped you out during that time that, that you owe a lot to in, in, in your mind? Uh, well, I'm, I'm very grateful for a lot of different people. I, there, there was no one who has ever, no one has ever saved me. Um, but except for Jesus Christ, you mean, right? Except for Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, I, I made a joke the other day about Jesus, actually, about how I, I sometimes think I have a Jesus fetish. And I was like, I started, <laughs> I, I started more recently, like trying to date men. And I like kept finding myself like going on dates with guys. I'm like, they look like Jesus. And um, you're Jesus. And I was like, I don't know. I think that this is probably, I should probably hold off on this. Cause this definitely seems like some kind of trauma is popping up. Uh, but I was like, there are a lot of common themes that like, you know, we've been waiting for 2000 years for this guy. And it's just been a lot of like lack of communication and the lack of follow through on promises. You know, that's kind of what it's like dating a man. And so, <laughs> uh, uh, but, but all that being said, there are a lot of people I, um, yeah, there's a lot of people who came into my life at different times and, uh, helped me in a lot of things, a lot of experiences. I mean, certain shows I worked on even just like music that I got to be a part of or plays I got to do, or, you know, there were a lot of things and a lot of people that helped me along the way in little steps. No one like grabbed me and saved me. Like I wish they would have. Um, but a lot of people helped me on the way, but I, I will say one person specifically, um, uh, my grandpa, who was my father's father, ironically. Um, and he, it wasn't until I was about 12 or, I mean, they knew something was always wrong with him and they, they kept a distance for a long time, but, and there was certainly more that they probably could have done. Uh, but they were much older and they were, or they were already old, old when I was born, but uh, and it was it was hard for them. It was hard for them to come to terms with the fact that that's their son. And, uh, you know, well, how did that happen? You know, and yeah, but, sure. uh, my grandfather was um, an exceptional person, like truly the polar opposite of my father. My grandfather was like a, a saint and um, just his influence in my life in general, like he he gave me so many of the tools I needed to survive, even though he didn't come in and maybe save me or take, you know, any of those things. Just, I knew that I knew I was loved, you know, and I found that with my grandparents and all, and even my father kind of controlled the time I would get to spend with them, et cetera. But I always continued having a relationship specifically with my grandfather and he, you know, he really instilled a lot of, like he told me the two most important things you can pray for in life is wisdom and favor with people. And, 
And I did. And I, I used that ever since I was a little kid. And I, I, I prayed for the, I prayed for wisdom in every situation because I was like, well, the only, if you can turn something bad into something good, um, you know, that's really the only thing I have control over in any of this. It's like, what can I learn from this? How can it empower me? And, and he also told me the three most important things you can learn in life is how to give, how to forgive and how to overcome. And like those really, I mean, things like that. He just had a lot of wisdom that served me far more than he ever knew in a lot of different situations. It almost, that I can't imagine what that is like for him to see the route that his son took. And I almost wonder if some of that information that he imparted on you was like, he might need this dealing with, <laughs> with my, maybe he knew a little. Maybe no, I think, I mean, he definitely knew, he definitely knew a lot. Um, but it, I mean, it wasn't until I was like 12 or 13 that I really talked about how abusive he was and some of the levels of crazy that things had gotten, you know, but he definitely knew who he was and his character. I mean, my father had stolen a bunch of money from them and was like, oh, wow. you know, he would try and drag them into, you know, a lot of the conspiracies and all of that stuff. And so, yeah, um, it, it was, but not just with him, just life in general. A lot of those things, my grandfather, it, he was such a positive person and he always looked for, he always looked for the good in, in every situation. And I mean, it really was like, it's a very strange generational kind of thing too, you know, um, where, I mean, he couldn't be more opposite from my father. And it, I think in some ways, my grandfather being such a good person is probably, in some ways, I think that that praise that he got and the validation he got, like the sort of bad parts in my father, I think that probably angered him even more. And um, I mean, it's, it's like, it's hard to, it's, it's sort of like a, I feel, it feels very similar to Star Wars for some reason, like, you know, the whole like Darth Vader, you know, Anakin, like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a strange um, sort of generational thing that I, I think I will probably always be trying to come to terms or understand. Sure. Do you think How? your grandpa, like, like you said, you know, he didn't save you necessarily. Like, looking back on it, do you think that there was a fear that if he pushed too hard against your dad that he would lose contact with you? Yeah. Uh, Man. How about, do you remember how old you were when your dad made that shift and how what that was like for you when it was like, just went from being the guy that would have sparring matches with pastors and find a new church to I'm a prophet. Were you still living at home when he decided he was a prophet? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, so okay. that was the majority of my life because the very early, okay. the very early years, um, like when it was just the fighting with pastors and stuff was when I was real young, but when everything took a real hard right turn was when, so my sister is five and a half years older than me. And it was when she went to go get her, her driving permit and so i was like nine or ten and that was when this that was when things just went <laughs> like <laughs> and i was but you know before that there was already like these trickles of the same kind of thing like y2k i don't know if you guys remember y2k 
Oh, oh yeah. yeah, we had a lot of canned ham at my house. Yeah. For sure, yeah. We had like <laughs> we were like digging bunkers and like learning how to make powdered milk and trying on gas masks and so he was always but and, and again, some of that though, I give him a little bit of empathy in places because it's not like we were the only ones regarding that kind of stuff. There's a lot of people who got you know radicalized by listening too much to like Glenn Beck and uh, you know a lot of the whole like Reagan, the trickle down of the Reagan era, um, you know, especially in the South and the Midwest and those, the Christian culture, it, it, you know, that's why I say I have some empathy for him because even though most Christians were like, your dad's crazy. I'm like, well, you know, you helped create him. You know, this culture helped create these extremists. And it's the same thing. Like one of the first things that, kind of blew up when I was started on social media was actually because of the QAnon stuff. And although I think my father was, is like probably more intelligent than a lot of the QAnon P followers. Cause it's like a different, it's a different belief. Not system. sure what you're implying. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but it like a lot of the lines are blurred in some of those things. And I, even after I left my home, I still, for a long time, was trying to figure out, well, what if my father's right? You know, and so I just dug, I mean, I still to this day, I deeply study the Bible. I study the history of the Bible. I study, and I, that has never stopped, um, that, you know, various ideas about revelation, different types of, I mean, I've, I've studied Hinduism and Buddhism, and, um, you know, I've studied, like, ancient Mesopotamian texts, and I've studied, like, I have always been obsessed with that kind of thing because I'm like, I need answers. But then it gets kind of depressing because eventually you get to a point and you're like, oh, no one has any answers. Um, so I, it's, pretty yeah. easier. it's easier to like stay in the bubble um, sometimes. But all that being said, the QAnon stuff I saw very early on starting to fester, like early before Trump was even elected, like right when he was like running and stuff. And I, you know, I told friends, I was like, this is, this is going to pop off. This is people, I saw it growing. And, and so I started talking more online about that kind of stuff because it just got real out of hand real quick, as everyone knows. And uh, the problem is that there is some truth in all things. And that was certainly something I learned from my father is it's not just he was making all this stuff up. Like there was a lot of bullshit mixed in, but a lot of these things are based in some element of truth. And when you totally dismiss these people, that is not the right way to approach things either because they are basing it in some forms of reality that at some point, someone was, some people just copy what they hear. But a lot of these conspiracies initiate from some element of truth, even if it's just a little sliver of truth. And so I kind of started talking about that because I just was like, well, everything is shutting, especially during COVID. There was like everything shutting down. And I was like, well, if there's one thing I know about, it's conspiracy theories and, um, <laughs> you know, helping people like try and, and not be paranoid. And so I, I, but I have to confirm everything before I, I'm not just like, oh, you crazy people. I've never done that. So it was like, and, and again, a lot of those fears popped into me. Well, what if I've been wrong this whole time? What if we are entering? The, I mean, like I said, COVID really was 
this, even though I've been out of it for so long, it was definitely triggering because I was like, are we in the end times? Yeah, that shit's in your like DNA at this point, man. Exactly. I, I know the same feeling of like, even exactly. I'll be, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good now as far as like, this shit's not going to happen. I mean, who knows that the whole world might start falling apart, yeah. but I don't think it's because it was orchestrated by God and Christ is coming back to wield the sword or anything like that. But I am like, just keep your head you'll, in the you'll sand. Be going about your day. You might just like, you'll be going about your day. You might be going for a walk and all of a sudden you're just like, what if, what if they are right about everything? Yeah. What does that mean for me? And you start thinking about it. Like it, it'll, I feel like that's never going to fully go away. But so much of it is that shame though, too. And the the thing that has helped me the most, I think, is like one of my favorite things in the Bible is talking about how how David, not that David was a great person, um, uh, another famous gay man from history. Um, <laughs> uh, but him hey, and Jonathan were just best friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah best friends. Um, best friends that docked. Best friends yeah. with benefits. Yeah, <laughs> um, but. You know, they were whenever, Jewish. They did not talk. Casey. Whenever David prayed, like for he's like God, search search my heart. And I think ultimately, whatever you believe, that sort of mentality is like. I think the only thing we really can base anything in our life on is if you get quiet with yourself and you search your own heart, and it's like, what is what is my intention here? Like, do I wish the best for other people? Do I do I want to live in a constant state of fear? And so the thing I had to realize is, say I am wrong about the end times, worst case scenario, say I am wrong, and it happens, everything. And I die and I meet God. I'm, I'm gonna say, well, okay, search my heart, like, you should have made things a little more clear. And gave me a better dad. Yeah, like, that's not it's not those things are my fault. Like, I if I know that I'm waking up every day and I am trying my best to be a good person and to live my best life and to serve other people and to care for other people and to love, which is ultimately supposed to be the the thing is how we love each other, um, then that's all that I feel like I really have to answer for. And so the paranoia and the fear of the end times, I don't see that as serving or benefiting anybody. So even still, when those things pop up, sometimes I try to remind, remind myself, I'm like, well, okay, if if we all get raptured and if all these people who are preaching, uh, uh, you know, they hate gay people and they're out protesting at soldiers' funerals and they're at, you know, all of the things that we see. And if, they, if they're get, getting raptured, I don't want to be with those people anyway, you know? And the uh, world will be a better place when they're gone. So yeah, we're just exactly. Like, so maybe maybe that's the ultimate plan for sure. Take all these people away, God. And he's like, <laughs> we're gonna give them their own thing over here. This is what they want. Yeah, yeah. If he's a merciful God. God's like, look, you guys have your space here where you can keep being weird. I'll give you that. Exactly. And then these people down here can finally have Some... the world they've been fighting for. <laughs> for sure. Where did you go when that? To, pivot too hard but where did you go when you left and how long did you think about that were you like did you have this big plan and how long um, was you leaving no i i had built enough friendships at that point where there were excuse me there were people i could like stay with and things like that and i had was doing so much, i was working so much in the theater and stuff at that point i had really 
because like I said, about 12, 13 was when I really started to push back and he was so paranoid and all this stuff. I really said even more because even though I was performing, it was still very controlled about you can't talk to these people. You can't do these things. You can't go. I mean, I was allowed to do the thing, but then everything else was still very controlled. And so about 12 or 13, I was like, I realized his fear of the police and, you know, we couldn't use our name and all this stuff. And so I was like, you beat the shit out of me, dude. Like, I know that that's not happening to other people. And so I pushed, I used that as leverage. And I was like, I'm going to go do these things. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to, I mean, like literally 12, like 13, 14, probably. Yeah. I started being very strategic about my only escape route is being a performer. So I need to build my resume. I need to make connections. Um, and, and that's what I did. And I just used it as leverage against him. I was like, fuck you. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go do these things. I had friend people would come and give me rides and I'd go, sometimes I'm going to work out of state. I'd be working this theater. I'd go film this commercial. And eventually I just told him, I was like, I'm going to do this stuff. You do your thing, whatever. Um, but if you hold me back from this, you push me back. I'm going to, I will call the police. I will call the FBI. I will show, you know, I mean, there's, there's a whole list of things he is involved in that he should not have been involved in. I mean, even aside from the religious stuff and the dude was running a, a big business out of his house, you know, an unregistered business out of his house. I and mean, he was committing tax fraud every year. It's like, you know, so, and it worked. And he, so then he just kind of laid off and for a while, I mean, he would try and like, we had a lot of physical fights those years, uh, but it would always go back to the same thing as I was like, uh, it built because he saw he was losing control. Cause I was really the first one that was like, fuck this, you know, at a very young age. And uh, I just was pushing back and pushing back and he felt he was losing control. And so the physical violence would sometimes get worse. And that was really what pushed me over the edge to when we got in one really bad fight. And I was, I was like, I'm gonna, I mean, I was, like beating his face in. And I was like, okay, it's time for me to go. Jesus. So, I mean, this yeah. is seriously, this is like trading punches. I mean, yeah. it's all out like physical altercation. I mean, I, I mean, I was diagnosed with, with complex PTSD because I had for years, I had night terrors. Cause I mean, it wasn't just the physical stuff. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night to him standing over my bed, holding a gun, mumbling, mumbling about the antichrist. He would pull guns out of me multiple times. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was, was he away? Like, what was his, what was it a tactic to scare you? Like, or was he like just out of his mind at well, some level, like desperate plea for control? Mumbling about the Antichrist. Yeah, yeah. It I sounds mean, so strange to he do was, that. He was flip, slipping through his fingers. That control was slipping through his fingers. And, um, it, uh, you know, the, the passion for a long time made me think he really did believe it. I like I said earlier, I'm still not, and I still don't know. I still don't know if he really believed this stuff or not. And um, I think parts of him did, but then I also think he probably realized some of it was not right, but he had this power and this influence and he didn't want to let go of that. Um, and, you know, I think he had to convince himself somehow that what he was doing was justified or okay in some capacity and that it was for the betterment of us in some way. And so, uh, but I was just, I got to a point where I was having no part of it. And yeah, I mean, we had one, because uh, I had secretly gotten my driver's license and that was really, that was at 16 and that was really 
that was the final straw. And so we had this one, even though I was the last few years, I had kind of just been doing whatever I wanted. Uh, it was so much conflict and stuff. Um, and he, when he found out I had my driver's license, that was all hell broke loose. And so that was finally when I was like, I, I got to get out. I got to get out. Damn. And your sister, did she stay around? Like she just hung around until she was older? What's yeah. yeah. Are you, do you still, are you connected to your sister still? Um, well, I, <laughs> uh, I, I talked to her a little more now than I, I did before. But um, I, I had a very singular path, you know, in, in, at that time in my mind, I was like, I'm going to be a performer. I mean, it was, I had to, it was like, this was my one escape. This was my, it's like, you're in everything. Like, I don't know, some action movie or something. It's like the temple, everything's falling in, you know, they, they have the goblet, you know, the temple's falling and everything. It's like, you see one little hole to get out. And so I was like, well, I'm taking that one, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's what I did. And I ended up going my, I went to school in Cleveland. And so I got out of, I got out of Oklahoma um, and I came back a couple of times and stuff like that. But I just fully dove into a career in entertainment and um, yeah. And ended up, I lived in New York for a period of time. I was in Cleveland. I've lived in Florida, I lived in LA. And so I, kind of was put that to the side and was like, I'm never looking back until, until I had to look back. And then also just like, you know, the trauma, the trauma, you can't push the trauma down forever. (laughs) No, I'm sure. Catches up to you. (laughs) Who, who were his followers? Like, who were these people that like, I glommed onto him like that? So, that's a great question. Um, and it's not exactly a, a clear answer because even from us to us, things were very secretive. So, I mean, it's very strange because when people, when I say, cause it certainly was not a regular traditional, I mean, I do think all churches are like kind of cults now, but I also kind of don't like that because I certainly was in more of what mainstream would consider a cult then, but it also is very hard to explain because there was not a specific name. You know, he didn't even use his own name. (laughs) Like, um, so, and he was writing legislation for these people and they were, but he would go to, I, I don't have all the answers for all of that either, because there are people I know who I don't know their names. My sister, and my mom, I know, know some of them, their names, but there were like several girls or women that were around him that were like working for him, but also believed what he was doing. And then there's other people that were in Oklahoma. And then there was a guy who uh, I know his name um, and he still makes appearances. He's still, I mean, they're still doing like to this day, they're still doing their thing. And they got a website. They got my father does not have it. He writes the whole thing. He writes everything. He tells everyone he's the one, the man behind the curtain basically, but they have all of these people uh, that are a, a part of this. Um, and one of those guys actually w- worked for one of the companies that helped develop biometrics and then somehow got tied in following my father and was like, yeah, you're right. It is the enrollment process for the mark of the beast. And so some of his ideas were also 
kind of backed up by very legitimate people, which I think sort of pushed him even further into, uh, I mean, does that, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I mean, if, if it's getting, conf- if you're, if he's looking at this from a technological standpoint saying this might, this is going to give, this is what I believe is going mm-hmm. to happen at the end. And this is going to give the government a lot of control and you're going to mix those ideas together and see how they could use that to do what you think they're going to. Yeah. It's like, and then you have people who are also within that industry who understand the technology blowing smoke up your ass about the dangers of it. Of, I mean, it makes sense. I could see why getting that validation from people who understand it in the way that he does. But it's, because, it is I mean, strange because it's also this very outlandish, um, very over the top you thing that you think is not mainstream. And like, he looks, like I said, he looks like Charles Manson. So you're like, what, what, you know, respectable, like sitting representative is going to take him seriously, but they have. And, um, which is, which now is not as surprising because you're seeing other things, but, um, he, he also, I mean, even with the whole divorce with my mom and the whole thing with like the judge who basically awarded him everything also happened to be the whole the, that ended up being the same judge that was like overseeing the guardianship of my grandma, you know, and it's like you see that the power plays in the politics side of it, the political side of it as well. Um, so when you talk about a f- followers, everything is si- somewhat silent um, of, you know, we see people, but it's like I left so early on. I've talked to my mom some about some of the other people that were more around on the property and things like that and, and, and doing running errand for him and doing things for him and people that were very much following his agenda and mission. But, um, you know, we, those people weren't allowed to ever talk about their names or anything like that. And so it was uh, very sporadic. I mean, I know, and, and he would spend multiple months, even when I was still there, he would be gone for multiple months um like in Colorado or other places we don't even know where I mean a lot of times we didn't know where he was and we know that there are like groups of these people in various states who are are followers of his um belief system that is so strange and see I guess that's the thing with like charismatic people especially if they come across as smart I mean that's that's like every cult leader kind of like that not all of them are geniuses but like they're charismatic there's a degree of mystique about them and a lot of times you know they're like some of their ideas are proven right by outside sources you know even like i don't know that's like when you're talking about conspiracy theorists like i i appreciate that you have some empathy for those people Mm -hmm. because i feel like dismissing them all as idiots and cheap and stuff like that like it's not useful and i think it's it overlooks some of the that like alex jones for instance god he looks like an idiot nowadays Mm -hmm. especially but you know i was i listened to him for a while Mm -hmm. you know when i still lived in michigan and you can't deny he was right about certain things i mean he was saying that the government was recording all of your you know all of your data and stuff like that long before Snowden comes out. Well, Snowden comes out mm-hmm. 
and it's boom it's like his theories on those things and you know he said a lot of things mm-hmm. he said a lot of things that were outlandish and crazy and didn't come true but sure. in the mix there's some of those things well, that's that the like danger. validate his points that's the danger with with both sides of these things i always say the truth is somewhere in the middle and uh it's very hard especially in today's political climate where you know, I am certainly not like a big Joe Rogan person, um, but there, like, I think he's done and said some really shitty things. And but I, I don't I also don't think he claims to be the most intelligent person. I appreciate the fact that he has created a space to have open conversations with different viewpoints. Now, do I agree with some of the things he throws out there or some of the things he says? Do I think that he's a, a very intellectually or do I think that he is the most intelligent person on his own? No, uh, but I think that it's nice that he did something that no one else was really doing at the time. And so I think those, I think things like that are important to create spaces like that where people can have conversations. And I do think that there is a risk of, uh, it's a very fine line of censoring, you know, what is free speech, especially when it comes to the internet and what are the conversations that need to be had. And the mo- and the, also you have to understand when you understand someone who is very conspiratorial, the more you censor them, the more they buckle down on the fact that people are trying to hide the truth, whether that is truth or not. And so it's, I I think I don't have an answer for what I think, how to handle all of that exactly. Um, But I, I, I don't think that totally shutting down people who have controversial opinions is the right move either. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, t- it is, it's, that's a tough line to balance. And you know, you, I think I've, I've gone back and forth on that one a good bit over the past year. Casey and I have that conversation a good bit and it's, it gets tough. Cause you like, I mean, I think Rogan is a good example of like it, it going right. It going wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it going awry more or less. And it's just, uh, I mean, it's not like he obviously had one of the biggest podcasts ever. Um, So to say he flew under the radar isn't the right terminology, but he just did his thing. And that people would be like, that was dumb. You were wrong. This was right. Like people would interact with it and have their thoughts on it, but Mm -hmm. it didn't, it didn't culminate into this like big thing. And obviously until COVID, because then he wasn't wasn't like Alex Jones either though. That's not at all. You know, people, I think, tried to kind of like push him into a corner and label him as a very like a right winger or something. He's like, he's not even a Republican, you know, and and that's the kind of like just because people are questioning things or whatever. It's very dangerous to lump everyone into these categories as well, because he had all kinds of different people on his on his podcast from all different walks of life. And like I said, has he said all the right things? No, like but he created a space where there was a lot of different viewpoints and a lot of experts in a lot of different fields. And that was something that was new and different. And uh, I think was a good thing, but yeah, the whole, um, uh, there was a lot of dangers. There's a lot of dangers with it too. And I, but on, on the flip side of that, as I said, like with hypocrisy, you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy that just drives me crazy. And I don't, I don't know the answer because especially the height of COVID, I had a lot of, lot, a lot of conversations with QAnon people and even people that were just not so extreme into QAnon, but just kind of, you know, the basics. And 
the problem is no one is going to see what they don't they don't want to see. And I always tell people like if you really want the truth about anything, you have to look for what it is you don't want to see. And 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 it's not like you can't look for oh this is like I want to believe that Hillary Clinton eats babies, you know? And so you look right, right. and find that, but you have to look for the thing that challenges your viewpoint. And I think there's not enough people doing that. And that is a big part of the problem, especially with the algorithm that it feeds you the things that you want to see. I think a great example of that, that I've noticed just very recently is I would occasionally listen to Russell Brand's, right? Russell, yeah, Russell Brand, um, yeah. his commentary, his political commentary. And when he first started, I really liked him. And now I feel like he is taking a, a, a too far of this like right wing uh, swing because I think it's the information that he's reading, the information he is consuming, where before he was pretty equally critical. And I like that. I like people to be equally critical. But now I, everything I hear him saying is going very this direction. And I'm like, what happened to this guy? You know, you're not he's not sharing both viewpoints. And so I'm like, I think part of that is that whatever his algorithm is, is whatever information he's consuming, whatever, whoever he listens to, the people that listen to him, the things he's reading. And it's like, that's what's scary. And also, I mean, algorithms are a scary thing because they are it's pushing the narrative, the 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 tunnel that people are already locked into it's pushing them further into that tunnel instead of saying we need to go over here, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I think, uh, a... Russell Brand's an interesting one because I've listened to a few of, I mean, a fair amount of his videos. I think he's a very like thoughtful guy. Mm -hmm. He is pretty critical of both sides and stuff. But the other thing that you almost have to wonder too, with, with any of these people is that like, there's those same algorithms that, you know, kind of control the information that we see a lot of times, those same algorithms have some input into what you post and stuff as a creator too, because, you know, it's, it's clear. I mean, Sam does like most of our social media stuff, but like, you know, if we like post something that takes a big dump on Christianity, mm -hmm. <laughs> It, I don't think it's an algorithm thing. I think it's what people respond to. Mm -hmm. That post does well. If you mm -hmm. post something that's somewhere in between or that's not quite so divisive or whatever, you know, like they don't do as well. I don't think there's any grand conspiracy there on that. It's just what people respond to. But it definitely starts to guide what you think about and what you like brainstorm about posting because, you know, you want it to do well and you want it to be successful. We're all, right. you know, subject to that those those inputs for sure and what you talk about like if russell brand like to just use him as the example still not that i feel like particularly harping on him i don't know enough either way but yeah. if he is if he is rewarded uh if if his numbers go up and he's rewarded monetarily and the people respond to the things that he's saying as he shifts in a direction it's like it it's not unreasonable or unusual like this kind of goes back to like people like your dad too right barrett like where you're like you're being rewarded with that confirmation you're getting that that spike of like oh this is what the people are re responding to this they believe this for sure you're gonna believe it more too and for sure the incentives I, it's almost you can i 
I don't know, not to blame capitalism. It's just the really the way the markets go, I guess. But it the incentive structure for truth isn't there. It's just it's not like in a, people's idea right now is uh, they think unbiased information as a whole, not mm-hmm. completely. And I'm not guilt free here, but like people's idea of unbiased information is whatever they agree with. Like this, this is really good over here. This is pretty unbiased. It's really good. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it just didn't make you go. I don't think that's not true. Well, and, and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for people to, like I said, if you really want the truth in whatever the situation is, you have to look for what it is you don't want to see. And it's, and, and I'm not saying that that will give you the answers for everything, but I'm saying that's the right direction. Cause it's like, you, you go, you, you always have to be challenging your own viewpoint or that mm-hmm. problem is you fall into these things and then you get this side against that side, you know, and it's, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous game to play, but to make it a little less dramatic, I guess uh, I'll say this and a little more of just the human element is I have a lot of uh, uh, compassion for that as well, because we are learning so much because of technology and because of the internet, like think of our generation is the first generation to be over fricking whelmed with knowledge and information in a way that we have never had before in history. And so there's a lot of people who are just losing grasp of what they believed reality was. And we're all doing that because we realize that it is all kind of made up. And it's like uh, the show Whose Line Is It Anyway? I don't know if you guys remember that show. Oh, yeah. Remember at the beginning when they would say like uh, the rule, uh, the lines are made up and the rules don't matter, you know? (laughs) you know it's life and things that we believed were like this is the way it is this is the way it's always been this is this is what's right this is what's wrong this is what you know all of we're collectively realizing that a lot of that stuff is just it's just how we have evolved as humans and so and the and how vast the cosmos are and all of these things it's too much it's too much so people it's more comfortable for people to stay in a bubble sometimes. And, and my more empathetic thing is saying that that is not necessarily wrong either. I would just say, choose carefully what your bubble is. And before you get on a high horse about like challenging your viewpoints and stuff like that, like everybody needs to be honest about the fact that we all do that. Cause it's, it's, costly and it's it's hard work and it's you know not always fun to seek out information from a different viewpoint Mm -hmm. and like you know we may be willing to do that with this subject or that subject but there's a lot of subjects that we're not not because we don't want to hear it necessarily but just because it's like i don't i don't want to i'm not i'm not gonna go listen to three hours worth of videos about you know the central banking system or (laughs) you know, whatever. Like, I don't care that much. I just want this cliff notes. And by, you know, doing that, you probably are only exposing yourself to one side of it. And it's, I think it's just like, you have to, you have to continually remind yourself not to be too hard on other people because you do those same things. And like, I think it's the thing that I always try to like re like repeat in my head at times is like, 
it's unbelievably arrogant to believe that like a rational, reasonable person could not come to a different conclusion than me on mm-hmm. this particular thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can look back at your own life too. In the past, there were things that I was totally certain about in that moment that I've later come to realize I was wrong about. And that is the case for all, for all of us. And, and that's ever evolving. So that means that right now there are probably things that I am also wrong about, um, that one day, hopefully I will realize I'm wrong about, you know, and, and also, but just to piggyback on what you were saying though, briefly is like, it is also important, I think for everyone, especially coming from the background I came from, because there is so much information now, and there are a lot of conspiracies now, and there is a lot of fear about everything about like we even even the idea of like capitalism, and this is a problem. And this is a problem. We've got to stop this, we've got to save this. And it's like, it's so easy to get trapped in the whirlwind of everything that is wrong. And it's important to remember that you also have to prioritize your peace and you have to prioritize the fact that there has always been a lot wrong and there will always be a lot wrong. And that, but there is also a lot of things that are going really well. I told someone this yesterday who they were talking about, like, they're like, Oh, we just, there's, we have so many issues in the world and we have so many. And I said, it's great that you have this empathy. I have this empathy as well. A lot of people, and it's great that people are coming together and addressing some of these issues, but we must also remember that this is the best it's been so far. Yeah. 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 That's a great point. That's a, that's a fantastic point that sometimes upsets people a little bit, but it's like, yeah, this is, this is probably one of the most peaceful times there's ever been on the planet. It's probably the highest lifespan on average that there's ever been for all humanity. In many ways, to like to be who they want to be and and believe the things they want to believe, and you know than than ever before. And people have more acts. There's more programs to help people with food and and healthcare and like all of those things. Is it a perfect system? No, but we have it's yeah. better than it's been. Yeah, and I think the other thing I'm always like what I've become skeptical of uh, since leaving a, a form of like fundamentalism is like. Anything that it tries to tap into, like any sort of fear-based emotion, mm-hmm. just look right or wrong. You might be able to be, you might be right about where this is going and that that is a problem. But when you're trying to, when you're trying to get that message out through a message of fear and trying to get people to spiral and then use that, like I used to always, I, one of the things that I would, I would talk about but was like uh, my dad would listen to Alex Jones mm-hmm. um, and we, we'd talk about that occasionally. And it's just like, it's not, you, you can't, you can't say that that's not like that, that he has this opinion that isn't based on uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it, but either way, it's like you can't, he can't market you fear. He can't tell you everything's falling apart and that mm-hmm. the world's going to hell and, and then sell you a flak jacket mm-hmm. in the commercials. Like, you should question those motives. Yeah, um, for sure. Now I'm saying this to you. I never had. Maybe he just cares about them with him, but it's like that's I'm skeptical of that kind of stuff a lot. And um, I don't know. So I, I like what you're saying. I like just shifting that outlook. It's like, yeah, we can deal with these problems and you can only do so much. Each person can only do 
so much. And knowing about every awful thing in the world doesn't actually help. It's not, you're not allowed, you can't do anything. Well, and, and so even if, you're, if you're, all the media you're consuming is just torturing your brain with even, worrying about it. Even the things that we can help and we can address, we're, we're not, we're not best serving people when we're in the mentality of fear for doing so. Like, if you want to be passionate about something and you want to say, like, let's fix this problem, let's address this problem, you being panicked about it and fearful about it, that doesn't that doesn't fix the problem. You're just spending so much energy on the fear and on the panic instead of doing the actual thing that you say you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. That so, is what that- sucks about conspiracy theorist culture. And I think that's what eventually pulls people out of it mm-hmm. is like eventually you realize that there's no payoff. Yeah. Like, you know, I've gone down some like long rabbit holes on like Epstein stuff and some of the similar cases and everything. And like, I'll I'll do it again. I know I will. Like, it's like every 18 months I just like spend a month just like absorbed in the darkest, most awful crap that there is, but there's no payoff. You never know for sure. You never get confirmation of, of what you think. And you won't. Uh, I mean, especially that's something that was one of the first in the more recent years, uh, conspiracies that I really jumped into, not in believing in conspiracies, but I was like, what is the truth? You know? So I read everything, every Epstein core document uh, in the early times of the QAnon stuff. I was on the dark web. I was like, I wanted to find every single possible thing because I'm like, I hear something. I'm having a conversation with someone. I will dig down until I confirm whether this is true or not. And like you said, you dig down and you realize there's still not a lot of answers to things and things like that. Uh, there are perpetrators on uh, both sides of the political spectrum, and we certainly will never have the answers to that that subject specifically. Uh, we will never have the answers to that because there are too many powerful people on both sides. And that's not a conspiratorial thing. That's, uh, that's just a, a very, that's a fact-based thing based on what witnesses have stated. <laughs> And yeah, but, when you see all these names involved yeah. and you have absolutely no conclusions and only questions, it's probably intentional. For sure. For sure. And, and it's no the most bipartisan that. thing that's happened in this country in a long time yeah. was Bill Clinton flying the Lolita Express down to Mar-a-Lago. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I always tell people, I'm like, listen, they probably called each other up and were like, all right, like Fox and CNN, like we're not going to talk shit on each other about this subject. Because, <laughs> because then we're pointing the finger both ways, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. But so, so before, like, before we get out of here, you um, you, you're not you you left the show business world, or are you still in it a little bit? Well, that's it's... a great that's a great question. Um, well, yeah. So that was um, <laughs> I I was on that trajectory. And then I had some more really crazy life happen in my early 20s. And I ended up kind of stepping out of that and sort of got into the self-help industry for a while and was teaching some different seminars and stuff. And I had I had lost um, several friends in a very short period of time and uh, was kind of coming to terms with some of the abuse and things like that. And um, I, I just went and I got really sick and it is a, a long story for a couple of years and it definitely threw me for a whole nother like 
story of life that was I was not prepared for. And like I said, then I got into the self-help world for a bit, and then I realized that's a cult too. And um, <laughs> so then I everything's a cult. It is that's the name of this episode. For, for everything's real, a everything's cult. a cult. And so then I came back out to LA and I was like working in LA and then things were going really well again. Uh, and I was like, I'll do this. And I had all these other things I wanted to do, like books I wanted to write and all this stuff. But I was like, if I just stay on this path, I was teaching acting. I was appearing on, on Conan regularly. I had just filmed a feature film. It was like, it was going like this, like everything was going uphill and then something would hit it and everything with my whole life would fall apart. And then I was like, okay, back on the path, you know, and then you go to the path and then it's like a year later, something hits it. And you're like, that kept happening. So finally I was on this really good, consistent trajectory and then COVID and, um, and, but like I said, I always kind of viewed the, my involvement in the entertainment industry as sort of just like a stepping stone of to because I knew I wanted to like share more of my story and I wanted to help people and I want you know those types of things um and so now I do kind of a lot of different things I've gotten involved in some different businesses and I'm very like entrepreneurial um but it's like I still have like some pinkies and toes in the entertainment world it has its own issues it has a lot of issues that industry and it's um so i'm i'm in a, a like a transitionary period sort of right now in my life where i'm very grateful i have a lot of different opportunities um but i'm trying to figure out the next right steps for what brings me peace what makes me feel fulfilled how i can best serve others um i did write a children's book recently uh oh cool that was a cool experience and um yeah so i'm doing a lot of writing and stuff right now and i've written some scripts and I, i'm kind of like uh doing some more back endy stuff on the entertainment side of things uh so i'm just like exploring some different uh just kind of along for the ride at this point you know do you have any good stories from your uh your days in the self-help industry because when you I, I heard you say that uh you know that it was kind of a cult on uh George's podcast and I was like man I would I would love to hear what the, yeah. some of the things that like set the alarm bells off um well there's definitely a through line again from the uh from the religious a lot of religious people who kind of are like oh I'm not as religious anymore but they kind of trickle into that industry um and but there's certainly a lot of narcissism uh in that industry of people because it's this mentality of like oh i can fix you or i can uh and i'm just not a big fan of that and, and i think i would say one of the things that really was a i was teaching at this one seminar and it they had like these little small pods of people and like i was leading this one pod and people kind of go to each pod randomly and there's this process and people kind of like spill their deepest, darkest, like secrets and traumas and all this stuff. And like, we tell them like, none of this leaves this circle. Like this is a safe space for you to express you, blah, 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 blah. And then literally after that, uh, like exercise, the facilitators go to dinner and then they talk in a group about what each person said. <laughs> and I was like, this is fucked. 
this is fucked up, you know? And so it's just another thing, like I said, I learned early on from my childhood, like I, I can't fake it through the bullshit. Like once I see that something is bullshit, I can't not call out the bullshit. And so then I end up pissing a lot of people off. And that's sort of the same thing in the entertainment industry too. It's like the whole networking and like being a certain way and looking a certain way and like kissing people's ass. It's like, uh, life is too short. So I'm just like, I have had a, a privilege of helping people along my journey. I enjoy writing. I enjoy speaking about issues I'm passionate about. And this has created some new opportunities for me. And that's just kind of where I'm at now. I don't know what this is evolving into. Uh, but all I know is that I'm making my decisions based on the fact that I, and I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I've had a lot of things I've had to escape in my life. And I want to make a life that I don't have to escape from. And uh, everything I do from here on out is that's my intention is like, at the end of the day, am I cool? Am I good with me? Do I have peace about my choices? Did I do what was right? Do I am I proud of how I helped people? What I said, what I did, did I speak what was true? Um, and if that turns into various forms of work, and it has in some ways, but hopefully it continues to and will. Um, but I don't like playing the game, even the algorithm stuff, like what you were talking about on TikTok and all that. I mean, I'm on TikTok, yeah. but I don't have a niche. And it's uh, the growth is slower. I mean, it's like I have a good following, but like it's uh, I don't care. I don't care about that. And that was something I don't try and do anything. And because I, I just want to talk about the things I feel like I'm supposed to talk about. And sometimes that's funny. Sometimes I'm telling a joke. Sometimes I'm talking about something very serious. And I'm like, if people are meant, if they're going to find it, they're going to find it because I'm not playing the game. I'm not, I'm done playing the games, you know? Yeah. Here we are. Well, hey, I hate networking <laughs> stuff so much. Yeah. I'm in sales yeah. and like you end up getting invited to a lot of these like dinners and banquets and things like that, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with them and stuff, but like, there's nothing I hate more than having to like go into a noisy room dressed like a douchebag and make small talk with people that you don't really like that much. 100%. Crazy. It's like, you know, it can be fun sometimes. Like if you go, if I go to like a movie premiere or something like that, it's like that it's fun sometimes to dress up and do your thing. But like the fake conversations, like I can't do that. And I don't believe that the majority of people want that. I think so much of this is just us like dressing up and playing pretend with, with each other. And I'm like, who, like, can we, I find more similarities within people I meet, no matter what their political ideas are or whatever, no matter the industry, I think fundamentally most humans want very similar things. And it's like, they want to be honest. They want to like see and be seen. They want to hear and be heard. They want to love and be loved, like very simple things. And if we can look for that within each other and stop playing so many games, I think the world would be a much better place. Absolutely. The irony, man, it's so crazy. Like I can look at anybody I know and they could tell me anything. They could tell me their deepest, darkest secret that they're most ashamed of. Maybe they did something. Maybe it happened to them. And I would be like, oh my God, like I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. And then I'll never afford myself that say, I'll never like allow myself to think that everyone else would be like that mm -hmm. for me. And that's how everybody acts. And yeah. 
it's it's so strange because I know you I know most people probably would be and mm-hmm. I, I know mo- like as an individual I know I would be like that for anyone it's the system it's the system though do it because people will sometimes take advantage of your weaknesses with you that you share sometimes and that's all it takes it takes like one bad experience and it takes like a dozen good ones to make up definitely definitely and it's like but even though that person's intention may be good but they're still in this we're still in the jungle you know everything is still about survival like we're just some naked monkeys in a concrete jungle you're like and, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, people are trying to be at the top. They're trying to survive. They're trying, those instincts don't leave us. So uh, unless we very willfully and intentionally choose to, to not climb the ladder in that way, not play the game. I think the best thing is like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play the game anymore, you know? And so yeah. I don't, I don't like the bullshit. Well, here's to not playing the game anymore. Maybe I'll get there someday. Uh, I wish you the uh, the best of luck on that journey, man. Cause thank you. Thank you. It, actually, hearing you and listening to your story, it, you've overcome a lot, and it feels like you're really, truly on that that journey, man. Thank you. I, I appreciate that, and I am. Um, and I, I want to. I do want to say one more thing because that's actually kind of what my children's book was about too. Uh, was that very thing? Because uh, it's called the Acorns Journey. It's about, um, and I'm not trying to plug my book. I, no, I was, plug your book. Plug whatever, hey, we're at that point. Plug whatever the fuck you want. Right. It, it's called the Acorns Journey. It's actually a poem, but it's about, uh, and I've had a lot of adults and stuff reach out to me too about how much it meant to them. Like not just people's like they're like my kids love it and all this stuff, but what it meant to them as well. And that that has meant so much to me because that was really my intention as I wrote it, not just for the kids, but for the adults that are reading to them, because it's about an acorn and he falls from a tree unexpectedly. And he goes on this journey and he hits a lot of rocks and he gets try a squirrel tries to eat him and he gets dumped in a river and all of these obstacles along the way. But none of those things change the fact that ultimately within that acorn always resided the potential to grow into an oak tree, which is one of the most powerful, beautiful, uh, trees that exists on earth and um i think that is really true for for everyone and so as someone who did experience a lot of hardship early on that was what kind of initially uh set that up is because i had i always had this feeling within me that all of these experiences when i was having them even i mean trust me there were days that were hard there were days i wanted to quit there were days i was very depressed But ultimately, there was always this thing inside of me that was like, my, my momentary feelings do not dictate my ultimate results. And I think that that is something that is a it is universal for people that I hope they can take away um, from this or anything of mine is that no matter what it is you're, you're going through, a divorce, a death of someone, you know, you're a child who is experiencing abuse, whatever it may be, that like, there is a lot of hardship that is in this life. And none of us have control over that. Um, But what you do control is how you choose to move forward from it. And that's the only thing you have control over is like, believing that you have the power to live a better life, and that you deserve to live a better life. And that these things do not define who you are, because the the ultimate thing that resides within you uh, is 
something that no, no one can take away from you. And uh, you have to protect that at all costs. Awesome, man. Awesome. I just, great I man. just added, I just added the acorns journey to my cart and I'm going to buy it and oh, read sweet, it. To my children. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You enjoy it. So if you're listening just, and you have kids or if you don't just, uh, it's it, just add it to your cart. Yeah. Buy it right now. I appreciate it. If you it. don't have kids, read it to your parents. Exactly. Yeah. They might need it more than kids. <laughs> I will do exactly that. <laughs> well, the, so where's the best place for people to pick it up and where can they follow you? Um, oh yeah. So it's on, uh, well you can find it on my website, but it's also on Amazon. Um, thanks Jeff Bezos. Uh, should I buy, I'll, I'm taking it out of my Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the main, the main easiest places on Amazon. And then, uh, my website is just barrettcarroll.com. Uh, TikTok is probably the thing I'm on the most, I guess. Uh, and that's, uh, Barrett D. Carroll, uh, Instagram, same thing. Yeah, just you'll find my stuff. Barry D. Carroll. All right. Find me. Well, man, it was really great talking to you. Thanks so much for joining us and coming on, man. You too. Thanks so much for having me. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.